Hello and welcome to Sunshine and Storm the podcast. This week we're diving into the world of British versus Canadian serial killers. Um, and it kind of goes without saying, but a little content warning for this episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy topics. So, you know, brutal murders, that kind of thing. So just be ready for that. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is we've got three serial killers each. And we're going to take it in turns to talk a little bit about who they are what they did and at the end we'll decide if we think British people or Canadian people are more psychotic sounds good yeah so my thinking in this before we get into it Mm. I think British people are a little bit more psychotic however you know who the worst people are the worst collection of serial killers and I will say from other podcasts I listen to other shows I've seen just facts in general America, what is their deal with having so many notorious serial killers? Yeah, they have a lot. I, although they do have, correct me if I'm wrong, they have a bigger population than both our countries, don't they? They do. So, so I did the numbers. Okay. <laughs> I, so I looked it out because I'm, I, like, I say I like numbers, I hate numbers, but I, I like a bit of facts. So fun fact number one in a serial killer episode, which is not appropriate, but we're going to do it anyway. Fun fact one, the US has had a total of around 3,204 serial killers 3,000 yeah 3,204 followed by the UK which is 166 but we're the second okay then South Africa 117 then Canada 106 and then it's Italy I don't know why I'm happy about that I I honestly didn't think we would rank so no but as you said the American population is vastly bigger than the others so uh, you know it kind of balances out yeah. ratio wise but yeah but 3,000 okay. that that number blows my mind yeah it's so many and I mean obviously like there's the ones that we all mm-hmm. know but how many I mean maybe we'll have to ditch the Canadian and British theme at some point and just go into American because they have so many we're gonna run I was gonna say we after. should do just serial killers in general why not delve into some yeah. others so, who do I have first? I should probably pull my list up. That would be smart. That might be good. Okay, so, see, I struggled as to what order to put these in. Do I start with one of the best? Or do I start with my worst? What is the best in terms best of Best is kids? in, I think, like, I have more information about that okay. person. <laughs> Not in, like, this person knew how to do it. No. Worst is, like, I couldn't right. quite find... He's mm. like, I think he was the one who was, uh, yeah, he he was like in the 60s or early mm. 70s. So he's like, I don't have as much information about him because it's kind of been buried through the years. So, yeah. so I don't know if I should start with him or one of the more recent ones, but we'll go with him first. We'll go with him. Okay. So Wayne Clifford Bord- uh, Bowden, sorry. Uh, don't have much much info about his early early life. I know that he is from mm. Hamilton, Ontario. Actually, he's Ooh. from Dundas, Ontario. Sorry. Dundas, he went to school in Hamilton in the early to, to mid-60s. I don't have a birthday for him, funny enough. Mm-hmm, that's okay. I think it was like <laughs> he was born in 49 or something like that. How are we going to celebrate? Right can't Mm. (laughs) so what i do know about him in school was that he was quiet and muscular and played on the school's senior football team he dated in school um and in 64 65 he was once observed by numerous students 
on school property in a violent, bloody fist fight with a fellow student where he was victorious. But other than that, from the information I could gather, he uh, was pretty normal. I have no information about his parents or upbringing. Just he was quiet and played on the football team. That's about it that way. So the the quote or whatever I have is he was to prowl the streets of Montreal. He single-handedly staged a two-year reign of terror with attacks that drew outrage for their brutal animal-like ferocity. Oh. Is how we start with him. So his Mm. first victim, I don't know if you've chosen to include names. I haven't. I think I haven't. Okay. I I cut any victims' names. Wasn't sure what we were doing that way. But his first (laughs) victim was found on October 3rd, 1969 at the back of her apartment complex in Montreal. Although she was fully clothed, she had been raped and strangled. And savage bite marks were found on her breasts. I should I should uh, cut in here and say that he has a nickname. He is one of these killers that has a nickname. And his nickname mm-hmm. was the Vampire Rapist. Oh, great. Because he bit his victims. Interesting enough about, so this is his first victim. There were no signs yep. of blood, bloody skin under her fingernails, which led one biographer to theorize that she didn't struggle against him. Oh, was she conscious? Do we know that? Uh, we don't know. But so another report, so that that's one, apparently one biographer theorizes that she didn't struggle. Another report mm. I found said that the police found no signs of a struggle. In fact, the MEs noted that she uh-huh. had died <laughs> with a faint smile on her lips. Oh, that's so mm-hmm. weird. This is, mm. this is why I chose him. Yeah. So... Weird, there was apparently no signs of a struggle, the police said. Not sure if it's fact that she had died with a smile on her face or not. That is what one Mm. report I found said. And that was October 3rd, 1969. About a month passes. His next victim is found November 23rd, 1969. The night before this, his victim had introduced him to her co-workers as Bill. Remember, Mm. his name is Wayne. He's now saying his name is Bill. Uh, Mm. And her co-workers said that she seemed happy and entranced by him. When she didn't show up for work, however, the next morning, her employer went to see if she was okay. And with her landlady, he found her on the floor of her living room, clothed, but her bra and pantyhose were ripped. Wayne Borden had raped her and gnawed on her breasts, as he did with the first victim. A crumpled picture found in the wreckage of her flat was readily identified as Bill, yet the cops couldn't connect the smiling face with a real-life subject, because obviously the name is different. There were some conflicting reports about her if she if she struggled or not. I don't believe she did. It, okay. it seems like the first two, there's no struggle with, which is weird. <laughs> um, yeah. On the 16th of January in 1970... So again, a bit more time has passed. We've got well, a little yeah. bit of a cooling off period, which is like one of the typical things with a serial killer. But we don't have yeah. long. We're we're keeping them pretty mm. tight. Um, but so 1970, the third victim's boyfriend went to her apartment to pick her up for a date. 
She didn't answer the door. He decided to come back a little while later, thinking she wasn't home, wasn't ready yet, whatever. Upon returning, he found the door unlocked. He entered the home where he found her naked on her bed with her breasts undamaged. Uh Bowden was most likely in her apartment at the time he had ori- her boyfriend had originally arrived. Ah, interrupted. Yeah. yeah. An autopsy found two small fibers underneath her fingernails on her left hand, indicating that, contrary to prior belief, she had indeed struggled against him. After her death, publicity from the murders caused a brief mass hysteria in Montreal. Although it disappeared when Bowdoin had fled and the murder stopped. So he he left, the murder stopped, things seemed to return to normal. Uh, and that was January in 1970. We're, we take a pause here, <laughs> and we come to May 18th, 1971. Ah. Wayne Bowdoin struck again, but this time in Calgary, Alberta. His fourth victim, a high school teacher, had not shown up for work, and her apartment manager was called. The apartment manager found her on the floor of her bedroom. There were signs of a struggle, and her body revealed that she had been raped, strangled, and that her breasts were mutilated with bite marks. The police recovered a broken cufflink under the victim's body. In their investigation of murder, the police were able to find out from two of her colleagues that she was seen at a stoplight riding in a blue Mercedes-Benz on the night she died. The car was reported to have a distinctive advertising bull-shaped decal in the rear window. A friend of the victim also informed police that she had been recently dating a man named Bill, described as a flashy dresser with neat short hair. The one thing I did, stumbled across information about him, again, don't know how true it is, is apparently he was a model at some point. So he was clearly supposed to be this attractive man. Hmm. So that all happens May 18th-ish. Uh... On May 19th, 1971, Wayne Bowden is arrested. He was seen getting into a blue Mercedes-Benz outside that last crime scene. He was held on suspicion of the murder of his last victim. The police then turned to a dentist, or I don't know the word that they're actually called. It's a thing, though. (laughs) Who was able to demonstrate 29 points of similarity between a cast of Wayne Bowden's teeth and the bites on his last victim. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So the neat thing about this is uh, his case and this ability to cast his teeth and see that it matched up with the bites um, was the first time this was done in Canada, like, for a verdict. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So the evidence from the cast of his teeth was enough for him to be found guilty in Calgary and sentenced to life in prison. Mm-hmm. Bowden then returned okay. to Montreal to face trial, where he confessed to the murder of his other three victims. He was sentenced to three additional life sentences. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like he tried to appeal or go on parole at all or anything, but he did die from skin cancer while serving in time in prison on March 27th, 2006. Weird with the bite weird marks, with the bite right? marks, and also the first two no apparent signs of struggle with either. Yeah, I wonder if he used some sort of date rape drug or something that isn't traceable Maybe. after a certain amount of time. There's quite a yeah. Lot of them. The weird thing about it though mm. is it's only a day. Like the victims are all found. It seems like the the next day. So yeah. you would think something would be still traceable in the system 
only a day later, but apparently not. So, so yeah, the vampire rapist. Yeah, it has Jack the Ripper Mm. vibes. I don't know what it is. There are some particularly male serial killers that are very, like, with women's breasts and with any other sort of, like, sexualized part of the body. Yeah, and I do, the reason I picked that one was, I mean, the nickname alone piqued my interest. Uh Uh, There was also, he (laughs) had another nickname. It was Strangler Bill, because he he apparently told these women his name was Bill. Which is why they originally couldn't connect him to who he was. I did also see that with his last enough. victim, when the police like talked to him, they had his cufflinks. Mm-hmm. And they went, these yours? And he said yes. But he said that wow. he had seen her and had been with her the night before, the night she died. But that when he left her apartment, mm-hmm. she was perfectly fine. Of course. Of course. He then later confesses to the other three, though. Interesting. I do have an honorable mention on my list. And I don't know if it's someone we should save. I think we should actually talk more about him. But he's my honorable mention. Okay. Do you want to save that till the end? Or do you want to say now? His name was Gilbert Paul Jordan. He was nicknamed the Boozing Barber. He was active from 1965. Get this. 1965 to 2004 killing wow it is actually he was convicted of one manslaughter charge they believe he has eight to ten other victims but there could be more because of Mm. the way he killed them he killed them listen to this he would invite a girl back to his room to his apartment whatever it was and drink with her until she passed out and then he would continue to pour alcohol down her throat until she died of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> right? Why? So because of that, they don't actually know how many victims he had because alcohol poisoning looks accidental. And that's why it's a manslaughter charge, which is like accidental death, not murder. Oh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. How do you have a name like Gilbert and then get such a cool serial killer name like the Boozing yeah. Was it the Boozing Barber? Right? That's not Not bad. at all. He doesn't but deserve it. I thought like. that one was so interesting and like it's not known how many victims he had, but just the way he did it mm. is so interesting to me. Yeah. It is. And how long as well. He was probably doing that really regularly. He's probably got like hundreds of victims. Well, the creepy thing is know. too, thinking about when he was like when he stopped, which I think is when he was when he went to jail on the manslaughter charge. I was four years old. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. It's like when people people mm-hmm. talk about Ted Bundy a lot and how like they had someone like that was their family or their dad or someone bump into him in a pub or a bar and I'm like, oh, it's yeah, so weird. Yeah, no, it is. <laughs> you imagine. And this is going to happen as well. We always, um, my friends that I still talk to, which is, you know, a few of them from high school, um, we all have this running joke that we, we always kind of like try and figure out who's going to be the serial <laughs> killer from school because yeah. there's going to be one and it's that thing of like hmm, who's it gonna be and then you think well you know it could be the guy that cuts your hair it could be a supermarket yeah cashier it could be anything but yeah Creepy. he was my honorable mention i had to throw him out there he was going to be one i talked about like more in depth but i was just like because we don't know how mm. many victims and stuff like there isn't that cool of a story with him you know so yeah. i was like he he's a mention mm-hmm. for sure don't think I'll fully go into detail, yeah. though. So, what's your first one? 
Okay, so before I delve straight in, I'm going to say that for my choices, I've avoided... We have a lot of, like, Jack the Rippery type killers in the UK that are super notorious. They've been done to death, pun intended. Um, so I've tried to avoid them. I've done one right. that I know and two I don't know. So I'm going to start okay. with the one that I knew of. Um, and that is Harold Shipman, whose nickname is Dr. I've not death. heard of this. Go ahead. So Shipman was a doctor, uh, but we're not going to call him Dr. Shipman because you lose your right to a title True. and you murder a bunch of people. <laughs> Firmly believe that. <laughs> Shipman was born in 1946. He became interested in medicine when he was young. His mum was suffering from lung cancer and he watched her um, be administered morphine to mm-hmm. sort of deal with her pain, um, which you need to remember. Oh, is he one of those later. like angel of mercy killers or whatever they call them yeah mm. mm-hmm. but with a twist because i don't know if you can call the angel of mercy if you like mm. steal from dead people okay you know? so gets older gets a medical degree from leeds university and he becomes a gp mm-hmm. general practitioner yeah. exactly so over the course of his time practicing medicine they think that he murdered around 250 oh, wow. victims yeah you definitely have higher few. numbers than i do so, yeah Maybe that's yeah. I don't know. But then the thing is, this is not that's true. confirmed. It's di- it's difficult. Like with your with your barber dude, it's really hard to tell when there's a death that could be considered natural causes or could be considered, you know, like an accidental yeah. overdose or whatever. It's really hard to tell what's intentional and what's not. I mean, doctors yeah. have patients that die. That's Did true. they do it? Who knows? So he started working at a medical center in West Yorkshire in 1974, and he lasted one whole year before he became addicted to a always pain lovely. That's it. Yeah, just one year. Um, so his addiction led him to forge some prescriptions. So he was fined £600, which in today's money is £5,147. Take it. It's a lot, right? <laughs> mm. So unsurprisingly, he's fired from this job, but he keeps his license. And three years later, he begins working at a GP, um, as a GP in somewhere in Greater Manchester. 1993, he's a bit more successful. He sets up his own practice where he registered around 3,000 mm. patients scary yeah so five years later in 1998 81 year old kathleen grundy is found dead in her home a couple of hours after shipman has visited so her family are understandably confused because she's been in good health there's nothing really wrong with her um which is where shipman's evil web of bullshit starts to untangle because he's just real dumb okay so some immediate red flags here she's in good health at the time of her death he insisted that no autopsy was necessary as her doctor and Big shock, her will had been changed so that she left Shipman, nothing for her kids, just Shipman, her entire estate of around £386,000, which for context is about 700 k today in British pounds and over 1.2 million okay. Canadian dollars. He's, so how he's he thought, dumb, isn't he? Wow. Yeah. How did he think he would get away huh. with that? Yeah. Like, you would know. <laughs> anyway. So obviously this went straight to the police and investigations opened to find out what is going on and they exhume Grundy's body. When they exhume a body, they find traces of diamorphine, which is basically heroin in her system. Um, It's used in small doses as pain control for cancer patients, but Mm -hmm. obviously she didn't have cancer. Her health was fine, so she had no reason to be taking it. Shipman then uses the, it wasn't me, Grundy was an addict, you know, here's here's evidence of her being an addict. Um, And his evidence is he brings his medical journals that he's written online um, as evidence of this. He's saying, oh, I've written down about her previous addiction issues and stuff. But the police aren't that dumb. They find out pretty quickly that the all the entries he's written about her drug addiction were written after her death. Fast forward in the investigation, he's arrested and they find a typewriter in his house, which was used to forge the will. 
Um, they start looking further. They investigate and discover at least 15 cases where he's given his patients a mm. lethal dose of diamorphine um, and then falsified their medical records to say they had like underlying health conditions or they were suddenly unwell, mm-hmm. which resulted in their death. Trial begins in 1999. He's charged with the murders of 15 women between the years of 95 and 98, which is a big yeah, number for three sure. years, I think. The shipment inquiry then begins in 2002, which is where his medical career is put mm. completely under the microscope. Um, between 71 and 98, he had 459 patients die under his care. So obviously, being a doctor, you're going to have some deaths. I don't know whether this number is as in physically in person his care or whether this is just okay. over his time as yeah. a GP, probably the latter. So obviously, the judge has to take that into consideration, which is where they get this estimate for about 250 mm-hmm. intentional murders. That's so kind of like a happy medium, which is across okay. a 27 year period. Hmm. There are a few people as well that have suspected ship, uh, shipment over the time. And what's really annoying about this as well is that they've raised the alarm a couple of times. So before he's caught, there, are a taxi driver, um, there was a taxi driver called John Shaw. He told police that he thought he'd killed over 20 patients because he's noticed that a lot of elderly women that he'd taken in, he like, you know, just dropped off at the hospital or whatever, hadn't mm, come back okay. because they died. Which I feel like as a police officer, you might, yeah. you might do something about that, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, and then there was another. It was an employee at a funeral parlor who had also questioned his actions because she noticed that he had a really high death rate. Um, and there were a lot of sort of there's a lot of cremation paperwork that he'd signed specifically, which is pretty odd. Like his just yeah. the fact that he'd done so much was a little a little bit of a red flag. So come to year two thousand, he is sentenced to life in prison, and he took his own life in two thousand and four. Which you know, yep, he's just an ass. <laughs> Um, but what I find really interesting about this is that he, his witnessing of his mother getting morphine when he was a kid, I wonder if that's where his, yeah, I, I mean, it probably, it must be right. Where I would his think so. Comes from. Yeah. But then you have to think, like we said at the start, is his fascination as a result of wanting to put people out of their misery? Is this why he kills people? Or is it because he wants to steal their money as he tried to do with Kathleen Grundy? I don't know. I just, yeah. Mm, sounds it like red. it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's shocking how dumb he seemed because I figured you're gonna have this like really smart, like it's gonna be a really twisty case. And I'm sitting here like, wow, so dumb. Mm. Not that I would do any better. Really, really stupid. (laughs) You never know. I feel like you wouldn't try and. It's just the changing the will. That's. I mean, that's. Oh yeah. Inevitably, that's what got him caught because. Who? What child wouldn't read a will and be like, "Oh, my mother, who has recently died of unknown causes, or like a drug overdose when she didn't take drugs, her will had been changed to." Although, you know, why her doctor, the doctor? Of course, you would immediately. Like, why would you will something to your doctor? I'm sorry, but I'm not that close with any of my exactly. Mm, I mean, he was pretty. Okay. If you Google him, he's really creepy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he he was not clever, did some terrible things. I find it really interesting, especially with what the taxi driver says. It seems as though he mostly mm-hmm. killed women, not exclusively, but mostly, which you think is another yep. Oedipus mother thing. Yep, always. You know? What isn't it? But yeah, yeah. My number okay. two. Okay, number I'm going to go into the one with the shortest mm-hmm. reign now. Clifford Olson mm-hmm. Jr. Here's another nickname for you. Beast of British Columbia. Mm-hmm. As you can tell, he's from British Columbia. Oh. Here's where you want to move. By the way, an unsettling amount of the <laughs> serial killers I've been researching have been from, like, BC. 
It's concerning. Born on January 1st, 1940. The eldest child of... I don't know if I should say their names. Don't know if there's any publication bans or anything. Oldest (laughs) child of his parents. He grew up in a small house. His dad delivered milk. And his mother worked as a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. His dad later worked in construction as an apartment building manager. But at first he delivered milk. So... Uh, normal family, yeah. you know, seems like. So after the war, the family moved to the sprouting suburbs of Richmond into one of the many housing schemes for returning veterans. A short, stocky kid, Olson was always a problem. He, so here is a quote from his father. So this is kind of interesting. Yeah. He was always getting into fights and getting beaten up. One day he said, Dad, I'm going to learn to be a boxer. As soon as he did, he began making the rounds of the boys who had beaten him up and started evening the score. Maybe that's his trouble, that chip on his shoulder. So that's a quote from his father. Yeah. So his mom bore two more sons and a daughter, all of which grew up to be law-abiding middle-class citizens. (laughs) Seems like, from what I can tell, family's pretty normal. Mm-hmm. No reason this kid should, you know, couldn't find anything out, out about trauma or anything. Pretty normal kid. His siblings are all normal as well. Weird. Uh, he began to skip class when he was only 10 years old. And after completing grade 8, he quit all to, altogether to embrace a life of crime. Mm-hmm. excellent career aspirations i love it <laughs> right so over the following 24 years he chalked up nearly a hundred convictions which go from i have the list of his uh his convictions here mm. obstructing justice possession of stro- stolen property possession of firearms forgery false pretenses fraud parole violations impaired driving theft armed robbery escape from lawful custody rape buggery gross indecency, and finally, first-degree murder. Oh boy, that's a colorful resume. Yeah, here's another fact. He escaped from jail seven times. From where? Who is Who set up the jail? <laughs> so, so, I know of the one time he escaped, he told them that he had an earache, like an ear infection or something. They mm. took him to the hospital where he beat one of the guards and was able to escape and then was on the run. Okay. But he escaped a total of seven times before, like, officially being caught. And these were for, this was before all the murder charges, so this is on his theft charges and things like that. Oh. Starting in 1980, Clifford Robert Olson managed to kill 11 children and teenagers, ranging from the ages of 9 to 18. Uh, I think they were mostly girls, but not like you like with your last one, not exclusively. I yeah. don't believe he did this in seven months before he was captured and charged in 1981. So less than a year was he out doing this for, but was able to kill 11 children and teenagers. To put that number into perspective, Dennis Rader, the Rader. BTK killer, yeah. fine torture killer. Killed 10 people in the span of nearly 30 years. So Clifford Robert Olson earned the name of the Beast of British Columbia. His tactics for killing range from stabbing, bludgeoning, to strangulation. In one of his victims' cases, 
she was stabbed and bludgeoned with a hammer. Her cause of death was condensed uh, skull fractures from the hammer. And some of these, there was one that the girl, I believe there was one, the girl was kidnapped from her house. Another one, he picked up a girl who was hitchhiking, drove her out. That was, I believe, the one with the hammer that I can remember. Like he's, um, it's like he's experimenting. Mm-hmm. So, can't pick a coat. No, and the thing is, the one thing to note is during this time, he met a woman and got married. I don't know if they had, I believe the child they have was not his biological child, but I could be wrong on that. But three days after he marries this woman, he, I believe, is when he, he had already killed about two victims and he killed his third, like two days after they were married. So that happened. She apparently was, his wife apparently was, had been in an abusive relationship before him. He also apparently abused her, but she was with him. It was a thing. All of that. (laughs) So he was arrested. They nearly were, uh, nearly missed arresting him. He laid in a field for what one of the investigators said would have been hours with agents crisscrossing around him. The only reason he was caught, and this was near the border to the U.S., to put this into a bit of a perspective. Near the border, he's nearly missed. They had agents from the U.S. working with them at this time because if he was over the border, the police wouldn't have been able to arrest him because of jurisdiction. So they were all working together, crisscrossing this field right around him, nearly miss him. The only reason he's caught is a dog named Tiger. Oh. He's a police dog, and this was actually not the first time Clifford Robert Olson was uh, apprehended by a police dog. There was another dog who was able to also find him. Oh, <laughs> so he, good dog. Yeah, <laughs> the dogs are able to get him. So after his arrest, which happened on August 12th, 1981, obviously all of his kills happened in a short time period because it was less than a year. I don't have the exact dates of all of his kills, but it's he starts in 1980 and is arrested August 12th, 81. So, you know, short time frame. <laughs> yeah. He's arrested, but is able to strike a deal that is, like, controversial with the prosecutors. Mm. The deal is to make payments into a trust for his wife and son, for each of the remains that he leads law enforcement to. Because at this point, they had missing children, but no no bodies. Oh, so it's real desperate. Yeah, so they're, they're trying to find these kids. And he, they've connected him to it. And he goes, okay, pay my wife $10,000 for each body. I'll lead you to them. Hmm. The prosecutors agree to this deal. Uh, he leads them to a total of 10 bodies but then leads them to his 11th body, and he described it as a freebie. Nice. Mm -hmm. So law enforcement stops the deal. They're done. Mm -hmm. Because there's been public outcry at this point that they shouldn't be paying his wife money to get him to lead them to these bodies. Uh, He offers them one last deal. $100,000 for another 20 bodies. Law enforcement refuses. It is unknown if there were more victims, 
that he could have led them to or if it was part of his sadistic games because he was apparently very manipulative uh, and very sadistic. They don't believe there were more bodies, but it does make you wonder, were there more? Another controversial step in this is his wife, somebody asked her whatever, if she would give the money back because, I mean, ill-gotten gains <laughs> at this point. She said no. Um, he is charged with 11 counts of murder, which he pleads guilty to. And he is okay. to serve 11 concurrent life sentences. He applies mm-hmm. for parole under different acts multiple times and is denied. Good. One of the judges quoting, uh, saying, way too dangerous. He will kill again. We ca- like It's my recommendation. He is never allowed out. Yeah. Because of all of this. He also apparently wrote to the US in a way to try and get like um out of prison and told them he had information about the September attacks on oh, New York. So he's very manipulative, very sadistic. Say, oh well, mm. I have information about this. Let me ask. Actually, one of the ways he applied for parole, the rules around it were actually changed because of him. Because it was oh. for like lower level criminals kind of thing or people who were like wrongly accused to get Mm. parole so that they could work on like appeals and stuff like that he was able to apply under this so they actually changed it that anyone convicted of murder could not Mm. apply for parole through that also another controversy with his case because there's plenty of them he was receiving at least one government benefit while in prison at old age pension So he was getting thousands of dollars from the government because of being like under the poverty line because they have those (laughs) here under the poverty line uh, at a certain age you can get money. They ended up taking this money from him and again changed the rules so that anyone convicted of a crime or convicted of murder in prison cannot be eligible for that benefit. Damn straight. This is such a colossal cock-up on the authorities' part. Right? (laughs) He then dies in prison from cancer October 2nd, 2011. Oh, how sad. Right? But only less than a year has he had this reign of terror. 11 Mm. children. Potentially more. They really, from what I can see, like, nobody actually thinks there was more. It just, he said it. But because of the way he was, they didn't believe it kind of thing. But, like, when I read that... I think that's so bad. When I read that, that made me really wonder, like, was there potentially more that he could have led them to? One other fact about him. uh, Mm -hmm. They have a psychopathic scale test that they do on criminals. I don't know... Mm -hmm. I don't know if they do it on everyone. I don't exactly know how it goes. (laughs) But the standard cutoff for this test is 25 to 30. People will score within that range, like convicted murderers. A convicted psychopath will score within this range. He scored a 38 out of 40. Him crazy. Him, Him very crazy. And I think that's also that leads to them not believing that there's another 20 bodies somewhere with knowing what yeah. kids are missing in the area and stuff like that yeah. you know 
I think yeah. he's my, I want to say he's my worst. I don't know. They're all pretty bad though. My next one's my okay, worst. Okay, let's go. 100%. Okay, so her name, Amelia yeah, Dyer. Girl. Yeah, her serial killer nickname, the Reading Baby Farmer. Oh gosh, okay. Mm, so not great. Um, It's completely new to me, this one. She, but she's considered one of Britain's most prolific murderers. So I, you know, I was clearly in the dark on this right. one. Um, the first thing I want to say before I get into it is that she is the creepiest looking woman I have. What ever was seen. her name again? Amelia Dyer. Do a quick Google. She looks like she eats people's happiness. She just looks like a soul sucking oh, witch. Crap. I don't like her. Right? Oh, I wish there was a way we could include a photo on this podcast. Oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> but yeah if you haven't seen her google her she looks like she she's a thing of nightmares i don't like her very much she's um, like something like they would base off supernatural yeah a hundred percent okay go ahead i'm i'm yeah. ready <laughs> so with this one we're throwing it way back she was born in 1836 and died in 1869 so it's a very old okay. case but still there's a lot of records and information on this one despite how old it is so you know we have some pretty good police work from thames valley police okay. <laughs> so she trained as a nurse and a midwife and eventually became a baby farmer which much to my surprise is a com- well was a completely legal practice back really in the day. yeah so obviously her version of it was not legal um but baby farming in general is where somebody adopted unwanted babies for a fee and cared for them so she was just a hell beast um and didn't take the fee to care for the babies she just took the money and murdered the Mm, children okay um but this is this is a thing where it was a thing i hope it's not a thing anymore if it is can it not be Um, really (laughs) but yeah so what i find hideously bone chilling here is that she did this legitimately for a while so she had two children of her own, but eventually, because she's an awful human being, a few of the children in her care died. So we don't know if they're intentional or not, but either way, this led to her being convicted of neglect, for which she did six months labor. That's it. And we're not talking about like neglecting children and then being taken away. We're talking about she two children yeah. minimum in her care died. So what really stresses me out, not only that, is that she only has to do six months of lugging heavy stuff around. Yeah which is her punishment for murdering children. But post this conviction, she is then allowed to adopt more kids. Of course. Because you, you don't yeah, think like, something's wrong at all at that point. No. Like, who who allowed that? They couldn't have made a worse judgment call, honestly. But anyway, so Daya's now back in the business of baby farming. She's learned some stuff this time. She knows that whenever she kills one of her children, she has to dispose of the bodies herself in order to avoid any mm-hmm. suspicion. She doesn't involve any, like, physicians or anyone that has to sign any paperwork. She just does it in her own horrible way she also moves around a lot as well and changes her name so that she can't be traced okay and i have something here now another little what the fuck fact here is that she was in and out of multiple mental asylums throughout her life it makes sense it tracks i'm i'm yeah yeah. but whilst being allowed to adopt children again like who is who is rooting for the kids here yeah really though eh? yeah so People were suspicious that she was faking her insanity, but she survived at least one serious suicide attempt, so there must have been something, there was something going on. Not yeah. Quite right. Yeah. So we have a mentally unstable woman who's previously been responsible for the death of babies, who is freely allowed to continually adopt children. Okay. So, how did she finally get caught? The body of a baby was discovered inside a bag in the River Thames, which had a name and address tag of one of her aliases. So the police figured out pretty quickly that it was her, and they raided her home. They didn't find any bodies, but the detectives found some white tape, 
evidence of adoption arrangements, porn tickets for children's clothing, and letters from mothers that wanted to know about mm. their kids, which is that's yeah. horrible. Yeah, they also said that it just stank of human decomposition. Oh, lovely. Yeah, so there's no bodies, but this is a home where children are meant to be cared for, and it just stinks of dead folk. That's, that's not, not a good not sign. <laughs> They keep looking in the river and they discover six more bodies of children that had all been strangled with white tape, the same tape that they found in mm. Dyer's home. They have some pretty damning evidence now. She's arrested, charged, and hanged in 1896. There we go. Um, they estimated that over the years she killed between 200 and 400 kids. So she's just a hideous human being. But how how did that go on? Yeah, I mean, I guess you have to think of it in times, like, in consideration of the time period. Yeah. So... Policing's not as good. Like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, they, someone still should have known something was up. But knowing the times uh, and everything, maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't. You wouldn't no. get away with it now because we have we keep so many records. But yeah, I, I wonder whether they had like adoption or fostering records, or whether it was literally just like the parents get in touch or nobody. Yeah, does. yeah, it makes you wonder. I would yes. like to know how things like that work then. Because that would give mm-hmm. us a little bit more information. But a horrible yeah. woman. But because most serial killer inquiries usually come with a whole host of batshit theories, I have to include one that's okay. just mental. Um, I want to start by saying I do not believe this at all. I think it's a complete lie. It's just hilarious. Her, the Amelia Dyer murders occurred around the same period as Jack the Ripper. Okay. Yeah, so one of the most notorious serial killers ever. Um, so the theory behind it is that Jack the Ripper's victims were failed abortions carried out by Dyer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure, there may be a teeny tiny minuscule possibility, but here is why I think this is absolute bullshit. So number one, Dyer's motive was money. There's no evidence of any money being exchanged, like exchanging any hands in the Jack the Ripper cases. Prostitutes at the time or sex workers weren't particularly well off, so I highly doubt there would be a reason for that. Two, as far as I know, there's no suggestion that Jack the Ripper's victims were all pregnant. I know that their wounds were violent and dewomanizing as opposed to attempted abortions. I, I feel like a medical examiner would recognize that. Even Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And then three, Jack the Ripper victims were mainly sex workers. Without stereotyping too much, violent killings of sex workers are usually carried out by men. And I don't really see the connection true. to that. True. That's, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, so there we have it. She yeah. was horrible. We don't like her. She's really creepy. Please Google her. Her name's Amelia Dial. If you're listening, have yeah, a look. she's creepy. Like I said, like I'm pretty sure there's been people on Supernatural who are not mm. as creepy as her. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't like her. <laughs> so this one you might have heard of. This one I told you about mm. actually. Is this the pig? This dude? is Pig Dude. Yes, got it. We got to dive into Pig Dude. So Robert Picton was his name. Robert Pig. There you go. <laughs> he was born October <laughs> October 26, 1949 in British Columbia. Where else? Again, a lot of these are in BC. It's concerning to yeah. me. Um, I don't have too, too much about his backstory, but I know that uh, little is actually known about his, his childhood or family background. However, it is reported that his father was absent and that his mother raised him. She was described as a workaholic who was tough and had eccentric tendencies in raising her children. He did have at least one brother and at least one sister. I don't have exact numbers, though. She would work her children for long hours on the family's pig farm, even on school days. But in the 50s, that wasn't unusual for a small farming community. So, as much as now we might think of it as eccentric... 
for then it might not have been, although there isn't too much information. Okay. So there is a story from his childhood. However, I'm not sure where the story came from or its authenticity, but I am going to okay. tell it. <laughs> the story goes that <laughs> as a child, Robert Picton had a pet calf that he raised from birth. He loved this calf and felt that it was his only companion. He apparently kept the calf as a pet with his parents' approval and took care of it to the best of his abilities. As he and the calf grew, so did their bond. Unfortunately, he wasn't aware that the family had never had never had intentions of keeping the cow any longer than necessary, and so the animal oh, was no. slaughtered. He never got over the grief or betrayal of losing his pet, and also, again, reportedly, his family's traumatic torment reminded him that his pet was being served at the dinner table. Oh. So it's, again, kind of unclear if that story is a true one or not, but that's a story that we're going to say is a thing, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, Robert yeah. Picton never had a girlfriend his whole life. Women were said to be repulsed by him. Apparently, he <laughs> had very poor uh, personal hygiene. Uh, mm. So, in part, it was due to the way he smelt. Uh, and the other part yep. was his creepy demeanor. So, this is from, like... Yeah childhood kind of thing never has a girlfriend because of this he was awkward and oh, had dear. what was called a very off-putting sense of humor and unsettled people so he was people thought he was a bit creepy <laughs> so after his parents pass robert Picton and his siblings sold off most of their family's pig farm keeping only 6.5 hectares where they maintained a small-scale livestock operation the brothers ended up neglecting the farming operations and registered a non-profit charity called Piggy Palace Good Time Society. That's a terrible It name. is. So they hosted this, uh, they had this society that apparently they were going to work with people they deemed worthy, so like companies, sports teams, stuff like that, for this non-profit charity. Mm, interesting. So they hosted events that included raves and wild parties. That featured sex workers. Also reportedly of members of the Hells Angels. Oh. Reportedly. I don't know. <laughs> These events <laughs> attracted as many as 2,000 people into a converted slaughterhouse. I no. don't like that. How? Like no, that many people like, too. Yeah, if, yeah. But if someone said to me, hey, we're going to a party. I'd be like, oh, cool. Where is it? And they say slaughterhouse. I might yeah, sit this, that one. Oh, this converted slaughterhouse. We made it into a, into a party. Yeah, it's the pig dude that smells. What yeah. No. Yeah. So there is also another report. Again, there's a lot of things about him that I'm like not sure what's true or not. Uh, one yeah. of the reports said that he would, him and his brother, like him and his siblings anyway, were multimillionaires. I don't know if that was true or not. Like they did have a mm. livestock operation. So potentially, but I don't yeah. know the authenticity of that. In 1999 to 2000, their nonprofit status is removed for an inability to produce financial statements, and their society was subsequently disbanded. Yeah. So apparently, also during this time when they're having these parties, the local community is not happy. So this could have led <laughs> to the decisions because he, uh, mm. he, uh, they, you know, these wild parties with these sex workers. It, it doesn't look good for the community. 
So people, you know, they're having issues with it. He apparently is also, they are told that they're not allowed to have more parties. Anyone on the property, like, there for a party can be arrested. So that's 1999 to 2000. Uh, But we're going back a little bit here. In 1997, Picton has been arrested for kidnapping and stabbing a sex worker. She Uh. testifies... That she had been picked up by Picton, he had taken her back to his property, and attempted to handcuff her. He stabbed her in the abdomen when she resisted. She manages to wrestle the knife from him, and ends up stabbing him. She then is able to run up the road and wave down an oncoming vehicle. She's able to go to the hospital and receive treatment. She survives. Picton calls an ambulance and receives treatment at the same hospital where he is later arrested. Good. So, he is charged with an attempted murder, an assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement. However, the charges are stayed and eventually dropped because the woman, whose name is now under a protection act, was a drug addict and not considered a competent witness. How competent do you have right? to be if you're stabbed? Picton claims she was a hitchhiker yeah. who attacked him, and he is released from prison. Oh, sure. So, the one thing yeah. I will say with this case, there is... His victims, I believe all, if not, I believe all, I might be wrong, are sex workers or mm-hmm. some type of drug addict or something. They are seen as, you know, lower, low lives, kind of degenerates, things like that. Although they're not, they yeah. shouldn't be treated that way. But this did kind of lead nope. to the case not being taken as seriously as it should have been until much later on. And we'll we'll get into that, too. Yeah. Did you see, I don't know if you've watched it, but I think it's the Yorkshire Ripper documentary that came out recently. It's like, if we made sex work legal and in a safe way, the amount of serial killers that we would have mm-hmm. never had, like, I, I don't know what it is. Leave the damn yeah. sex workers alone. But it's like, people don't Makes take it mad. as seriously. So when someone like that is missing, it's not, uh, it's whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Someone's dead. And that's the thing. So, it's it stayed he he gets out of prison from this here's another thing the police have a second opportunity to arrest picton in the spring of 1999 an employee of the farm told vancouver police that a sex worker and drug addict had told him that she had seen a woman's body hanging in picton's slaughterhouse when questioned by the police she initially denies the story only much later did she admit that on March 20th, she had seen the body, but didn't report it because she was afraid of Picton and also depended on him for money to pay for her drug habit. This report has not been thoroughly investigated by police, despite Picton consenting for police to search his property. It is estimated <sighs> that if the police had gone to the farm then, it would have saved at least 10 lives. Yeah, Damn it, around this year, there had been a significant spike as Picton Picton got more confident with killing and barely bothered hiding any potential evidence. There's a spike in missing women during this time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at least 10 people most likely would have been saved. An employee of the farm described the property as creepy and described Picton during this time as exhibiting bizarre behavior that would draw negative attention to himself. So this worker for them is noticing something is up at this point. The same employee makes several connections to women he had seen on the property and women missing in the area. 
1999, he informs the RCMP that several items of women's clothing, purses, and ID have been seen on the property. He believed that these items belonged to several missing women. This was the second time he had contacted the police regarding these suspicions, and the police could not obtain a warrant based on what they considered hearsay evidence. They told this employee they required an eyewitness or physical evidence. Do they not have an eyewitness? She had originally denied it, and because she's a drug addict, they're throwing her case. Uh, They're saying it's not credible. So... In 2002, a different former employee says that he had personally seen illegal guns on the property. So people have talked. They know something is up. Mm -hmm. And this guy is now saying, fine, you can go look for that. There's illegal guns there. I know there are. The RCMP were then able to execute a search warrant because of illegal firearms. While on the property, they found the unregistered and unlicensed weapons and they also find several personal items connecting to missing women. Finally, we're getting somewhere here. This launches a massive investigation that was seemingly never-ending. DNA profiles of both men and women were found on the property, but they never found complete bodies. They only found fragments like teeth, hair, small bones, and various bone pieces. Police believe that Picton would murder, dismember, then feed his victims through a meat grinder before disregarding the remains into his pig pens, which then the pigs would eat. Delightful. Yep. An alert is issued after this about meat from Picton's pig farm because he was a pig farmer. So they have, they come out and say cross-contamination could mean human remains did get into some of the pork that this place produced. They didn't believe it was a thing, but it was possible. They put out this warning of pork, like basically a recall on it kind of thing. Nothing Mm -hmm. is, uh, I don't believe anything came of that report that went out. I believe what they did find is that Mm -hmm. it's more likely he wasn't putting this meat out like factory wise to grocery stores and stuff. But it's possible that he was giving it to like friends. pig bodies now when he slaughtered the pig but if they were eating the human remains they're now contaminated they don't know who anyone ever actually ate any of the pigs from his farm or like there's some some questions so forensic analysis was challenging due to the level of decomposition and it only being fragments additionally the sheer volume of remains each fragment needing to be identified via dna and sorted so this this investigation is going on long time yeah they would only be able to identify 27 victims positively there were many more Mm -hmm. but there was not enough dna on a fragment to test or they didn't have dna to compare families of missing women were encouraged to give dna to make a familial connection but not all the victims had blood relatives in the area so he's put in jail they're charging him with an initial six murders because they have the most definitive yeah. evidence on six of them, which ha- which means they have a higher chance of a conviction sticking, which obviously they really want this to stick. So they charge him with six. Yeah. In 2007, the jury returned with a guilty verdict of six counts of second degree murder. 
The judge sentenced Picton to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years. They're thinking there's more than they know of that he's killed. Yeah. So Picton's put in jail, okay. and unbeknownst to him, he is joined in a cell by an undercover police officer. They want information oh, here. clever. So they need information to help with identification, because at this point, they're still trying to identify mm-hmm. victims. So putting a police officer in with him, okay. undercover, maybe he can like get him to talk kind of thing. This officer is in charge of getting him to open up. Picton was boastful. He liked doing this stuff. So he confesses mm-hmm. to 49 murders to this undercover officer. Oh, boy. And reportedly, it, I think it is actually known, he is upset with this because he wanted to make it an even 50 and only got caught because, Ugh. quote, he was sloppy. It is believed that he did murder these 49 people, though Picton would end up only facing 27 counts of murder. So the Crown decided Mm -hmm. to try him for the six. They get their guilty verdict. He's sentenced to life in prison. He's then later charged with a remaining 21 counts of murder. Despite several appeals, Picton will likely live the remainder of his life in a maximum security prison. He is eligible for parole February 22nd. 2032 and yes he is still alive oh, I oh, hope he dies I, I, I'd be shocked if he got out but I think people know mm. you can't <laughs> you can't let him out kind of thing no mm. he will make yeah. it to 50 so he, he originally there were 6 he confesses to 49 but he's only ever charged with like 25 27 not, not a great oh. one eh? <laughs> there was apparently a criminal minds no. episode that was Ooh. based on him. The character was based on something to do with him. And there have been other like other shows that have made reference. Like, haven't done a case of it, but have been like, oh, yeah. that the guy with the pig murders in Canada. And, like, they'll make, like, subtle references to it. He is very known because of this, because of the pigs and everything. So, yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's Robert Picton. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Creepy. And Creepy if you dude. Google a photo mm-hmm. of him, it's not a nice, not a nice yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Last number one. three on my list. Last last one. Uh-huh. So number three, I have John Haig, who sounds very boring by his standard name, but by his serial killer name, he is known as okay. the acid bath okay. murderer. Yeah. So he was convicted of six murders, but confessed to nine. But yeah, so hey, he had a pretty rough start in life. Gets married young. Marriage dissolves. Ex-wife gives birth in prison. Child's put up for adoption. He's shunned okay. from his pretty conservative family. At this point, he moves to London, becomes a chauffeur to a wealthy <laughs> dude called Mr. McSwan. He eventually lands himself in prison for four years for fraud, released at the start of World War II, and continues to commit fraud in and out of prison. No career aspirations clearly. whatsoever in this guy, clearly. So when he's in prison, he becomes obsessed with this French murderer who's called Georges Alexander Sarret, Sarret, I don't know, but something like that, um, who is known for disposing mm. of his victims' bodies using sulfuric acid. During his time in prison, Haig devises his own method of dissolving a murder victim's body. Um, he experiments yeah. on field mice, which is just cruel, um, and discovered that it only took about 30 minutes for their mm. bodies to dissolve. Post being in and out of prison, he becomes an accountant and at some point bumps into his former employer, Mr. McSwan. 
very unfortunate for Mr. McSwan, who should have just mm-hmm. kept on walking in the other direction. He introduced Haig to his parents and Haig starts to become super jealous of the McSwan lifestyle. He, of course, you know, Mr. McSwan then disappears a little while later because Haig has lured him into his basement, hit him over the head. I believe he puts him in a 40-gallon drum. It's filled with concentrated sulfuric acid and it takes two days before Haig comes back and discovers the bodies become sludge. So, post-murdering their son, Haig then tells the McSwan parents their son has been called up for military service and starts collecting their mm. rent. So instead of taking the rent money and using it for what it's for, he's obviously stealing it because yeah. he's a complete dick. <laughs> That's what he does. So eventually they get curious about their son's whereabouts and Haig decides that it's time to dispose of them. So in 1945, he gives them this bullshit story about the fact their son's back to see them. Um, not true. Lures them into a basement, steals their money, murders them. So two years later in 1947, he's strapped for cash and he needs to get some money. So why would you get a job when you could just kill a couple more innocent people? He picks up a couple called Archibald and Rose Henderson and pretends that he's Mm. interested in buying a house that they're selling. Obviously, absolute bollocks. He somehow manages to swindle his way into attending a housewarming party, um, at which point he steals Mr. Henderson's revolver um, and he plans to use it in his next crime. Then gets his acid drums ready, shoots the Hendersons, and disposes of their bodies. And this next bit's going to wind you up. So he forges a letter from the couple. He sells all of their possessions, apart from their car and their dog, which no, he kept. no, which I just you hate. don't get the yeah. dog. <laughs> exactly. You have to be a truly awful human being to murder a really nice couple, turn them into yeah. Oh my acid, god! Steal their okay. dog. On to his final victim, poor Olive Durand Deacon. She is 69 years old at the time of her death. Because so, because he's an asshole, he befriends Olive on the false pretense that he's an engineer and he can assist her with an idea she has. I think it's something to do with false nails. I, I'm not sure. Says he can assist her, lies, shoots her in the back of the neck with the revolver that he stole from the Henderson, and then steals her belongings, including a nice Persian lamb coat, which yeah. I don't know if you've seen Persian lambs, but they're really cute, curly, fluffy things. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he disposes of her using his usual MO. Two days later, a friend reports Olive missing and detectives figure out that Haig has been involved in a, quite mm. a few criminal activities before. So they search his place. They find a receipt for dry cleaning, which is her fancy coat, as well as some other stuff with the names of the Hendersons and the McSwans. So, yeah. it, you know, he's pretty bound to write it. They figured it out. So they investigate the area. They find 28 pounds of human fat, parts of a human foot, some gallstones part of olive's dentures which is later identified during the trial and naturally he's arrested he confesses to killing them all um as well as three other people but there's never been any evidence that there's any truth to that and then here's the bit that will annoy you um during his trial he pleads insanity and claims that he drank the blood of his victims he brings up some pretty batshit dreams he claims to have had as a kid that says there was blood and crucifixes involved and the usual stuff. But despite his lies, it takes 17 good, minutes for the jury good. to find him guilty. I'm okay with that. But yeah, so he's found guilty and he's sentenced to death. Uh, the one thing, the last thing I would like to say about him is that he bears a striking oh. resemblance to Hitler. He has, if you Google him, John Hickey, has the same yeah. facial hair, you know, the little like above lip mini mustache kind of thing. Um, and he's smiling in pretty much all of his arrest photos, which is just so creepy. So he's mm-hmm. another person I'm glad is no longer breathing our air. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. So there it is. Okay, so who who had the worst? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair that you and I decide this. We're biased. We can't decide mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. You know, so the question is, yeah. anyone listening, go comment on our Instagram or our Twitter. Who had the worst? serial mm-hmm. killer also i'm curious as to who they think overall yeah. 
which serial killer was the worst? I must say Amelia. I have an issue with that because yeah, it's babies. True. So tell us who wins and then tell yeah. us which killer mm-hmm. you think was the worst because I want to know. Mm-hmm.